Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast, where it's the goal of the Res Talk podcast to communicate late-breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. The ResTalk podcast is one of the new ways ResNet will communicate with all stakeholders. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for almost 30 years and have been interfacing with the fine team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. After listening today, if you like what you heard and you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing ResTalk, R-E-S-T-A-L-K, into the search bar in any of your favorite podcast apps. You can also listen in your browser by following the links at resnet.us slash professional. Well, it's time for your annual checkup, ResNet. So open wide your ears and listen as we join ResNet staff members Laurel Elam, Scott Doyle, and Billy Giblin for their insights into what's happening on the quality assurance front. You're going to hear about how the annual online and in-field reviews combine to shape the standards and direct the education and communication aspects at ResNet. We're also going to note, and this is really interesting, this team especially pays close attention to the business aspects because they've worked in the business aspects before to ensure that their collective efforts cause or to create a high-quality service to be delivered. That's, of course, the HERS, consistent HERS index rating, without creating unnecessary burden. So let's give a listen to Laurel, Scott, and Billy and learn what they have to say about the annual update for ResNet and the state of the industry. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you so much, Bill, for hosting another edition of the Res Talk podcast for us. We're delighted to be here. My name is Laurel Elam. I am ResNet's Director of Quality Assurance Administration and Standards. Thank you. And Billy? Hey, Bill. Thanks for having us here today. My name is Billy Giblin. I am the Quality Assurance Field Specialist, a new position that I took on this year in May, and uh, happy to be part of the team with Scott and Laurel and everyone else here at ResNet. And Scott? Thank you, Bill. My name is Scott Doyle. I am the Technical Director of Quality Assurance and Training for ResNet. Thank you. So we have a team of three of you here, all people involved very intimately with the goings-on with ResNet. And today we'll be talking about the state of the industry. And a lot of what we'll be focusing on is the efforts in the quality assurance in order to maintain the integrity of the industry. What means do you use to ascertain and maintain the quality assurance at ResNet? It's a variety of methods, Bill. We have our requirement in the ResNet standards to do 100% of all providers' review of their annual report. That gives us an insight of their yearly activities and if they've been keeping up with their requirements for field and file QA reviews, as well as checking in on any of their calibration records, radar certifications, RFI certifications, and that sort of thing. Then we also select 25% of accredited rating providers for an online review. And this allows us to have the opportunity to walk through their file and field QA process, any sort of certifications that they're doing for their raters and things like that, making sure that the field evaluations are done properly for RFIs. And then in addition, this year, we began going and visiting 25% of accredited rating providers in the field. And that gives us a better opportunity to actually see what's happening in the field with the various providers. 
in each of the three, you take on a different component of that. And, and Laurel, that's the annual QA reviews. And Scott, you're involved with the online. Do you want to explain that a little more? Yeah, sure. The online review process, I've heard some people call it an audit. I don't necessarily think of it as an audit, but it does have components that resemble that, I suppose. The online QA review is about a 90-minute go-to-meeting. I usually send out an agenda ahead of time. That agenda includes check-in on year-to-date quality assurance activities to make sure that they're on track to meet their quarterly requirements and the year with the right amount of QA done. Uh, Then we go into depth and have some discussion on their file review process. The questions I ask around that would be things like, how are the results of their file QA are communicated back to raters? How do they track that conversation, verify that corrections are made if they ask for some? What kind of supporting documentation do they collect? How does the rater share that supporting documentation with them? And the field review process, when we discuss that, it's similar kind of thing. We ask some in-depth questions about how they're actually evaluating raters for field reviews, what the process is that they use to select homes, if the raters in the home with them, verifying that they're meeting all of our expectations in terms of field review. And it's really helped us to gain some perspective on the range of processes that are out there. And I think the opportunity that exists for ResNet staff to provide some guidance on both field and file QA processes that will probably be part of a near-term improvement for the overall quality assurance program. So the results are better clarity in the standards, as well as in providing necessary interpretations, because you're in touch in so many different fashions. And Billy, you handle the in-field aspect? Yeah, I've done majority of the field visits, been able to get out to several parts of the country and see firsthand how providers are doing their QA, how QADs are doing their QA, and just seeing different building practices and in different parts of the country, different climate zones, different regions, and getting to know people that are doing the work and just working to create consistencies. And it's been a good learning opportunity for me as well as for the people I've been able to visit with. So this kind of direct face-to-face time with ResNet really out there with them is being well-received across the board. What's the construction of the infield QA? Like how long does it take? And maybe give us some of the states you visited this year. Of course. So far, early in the year, we've done a few visits in Colorado because that's where Scott and I both live. And and then I went to the Northeast, Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Texas has been visited by both of us, Phoenix area, Arizona, heading to North Carolina next week, Florida, and I think that's about, well, I guess about three different parts of Texas. Okay. So give us a little bit of background on each one of you, and we'll go in reverse order this time. So Scott, tell us just a couple sentences about who you are, your background coming into this for people that might not be aware that could be listening here. Sure. Thanks, Bill. I worked as a reader initially as an independent reader by myself, the only person in the organization that knew anything about that particular service. Was fortunate to join Energy Logic after that. So I got to be part of a growing organization, worked there as a reader and mentored under more experienced folks. And eventually I became a quality assurance designee for them and a trainer and had the opportunity to mentor a number of other readers. And before I left for ResNet, 
I was actually running a business unit, so I had focused a little less on technical aspects and more the business of running a rating and providing organization. That's very interesting because it really is a business and it has to interface with other businesses. There's customers, consumers, vendors, suppliers. I think it's really pretty good that you do have that experience and you bring that forth in the activities that you conduct. Billy, give us some of your background, please. Prior to being in this line of work, I'd had a couple different careers. The most notable one for about 16 years, I was a wilderness guide and a river guide and an outdoor educator. And after years of doing that, my wife and I wanted to sell down and make a family. So I made a change into the green building industry, worked for a builder for a while doing remodels for a couple of years, doing all aspects of remodeling and some new construction. And then I went back to school for an energy management degree. And through that, found a position with a company called Nexent. And I focused solely on residential with them initially. And we did a implementation of a existing homes program for Utah Home Performance with Energy Star program for the state of Utah. And then also later implemented new homes programs for the utilities and a utility in Utah. And I was also doing direct HERS rating and energy star rating and leave for homes green rating and, and gps green verifying and just working on residential new construction primarily as a consultant for nexent and then i had moved with nexent from utah to colorado and with colorado i was doing more planning and evaluation so i was looking overseeing and evaluating utility programs around the country for commercial and residential, but on the residential side, I got to see a lot of energy models and a lot of different types of HERS raters work in these different programs around the country. And from there, this opportunity came up with ResNet, and I went for it and was lucky to be chosen. Excellent. Sounds like a real great mashup of experience that really brings something to the table. Laurel, give us some of your background, please. And I got to say, Laurel, your name is almost synonymous with ResNet. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Bill. I've actually, when people have met me at the conference before and I said, hey, my name's Laurel. And they were like, ResNet Laurel? And I'm like, yes, ResNet Laurel. So I have been with the organization for quite some time now. I started around March in 2010. Time does really fly. And I've worn many, many different hats within the organization, started off with the conference coordination, and then in 2013, started doing the quality assurance management within the organization. So I've seen definitely, I can tell you firsthand how much the quality assurance and the strength of the program grow throughout the years since I've been involved with it. And I just have to say quickly that you heard about Billy and Scott's experience, particularly in the field, and we've needed that on our team for quite some time. And I'm very grateful that they are a part of our organization now. But Prior to working with ResNet, I went to the one and only the Appalachian State University that now does have a building science program. When I attended school there, they did not. If not, I would have jumped at it with both feet. But they had appropriate technology, which was the study of renewable energy. So that's the path I chose along with the minor in sustainable development. But part of my coursework was to take a building science class and a semester of building science class where you spend a week or so on the psychometric chart and you really dive deep down into it. And I became absolutely fascinated with it. So I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do with that, but the opportunity came for me to work at Appalachian State University's Energy Center 
where I did a lot of promotion for Energy Star Homes. I ran a little conference here in North Carolina, but connected quickly with the folks at ResNet. And it just became a, a great opportunity for me to come and work full-time with them in 2010. Pretty nifty. So you all come from different areas and you come to bear on this issue of quality assurance and some exciting, interesting new programs that have come up here. So I think probably uh, most interesting might be some of the actual field stories. And it sounds like Billy mainly and perhaps Scott a little bit can tell us some of the things that you've observed in the field without getting too specific, but the generalities, the, the things you've observed where people can be doing better work or are doing actually excellent work. The first thing I would start by saying is it's clear to me that everyone I've met out there is striving to do the best work they can. And everyone is really seems motivated to help builders and trade contractors build better homes. And it's really interesting to see the different business models and sizes and shapes of these provider companies and the people who are the QEDs and how they have different priorities and maybe offer different services across the board as a company. But when it comes to this particular side of overseeing the HERS ratings of homes, it's clear they're all motivated to see that better homes are built around the country. It's been great to just meet all these wonderful people. And yeah, I see a lot of different types of construction, which makes sense from different climate zones and parts of the country. And then a lot of different styles of how the raiders go about working with their builders. Some of the standards dictate some of the features and the inspections and the testing that have to happen. The minimum features have to be rated and then the inspections and testing that need to happen. And certain elements of the work obviously are being seen pretty clearly across the country. But people develop different special tricks or develop their own tools or develop their own systems to do things the most effective way for their business model or their company's needs. So it's been interesting to see how different people are interpreting and enforcing this and helping builders understand the standards. Scott, give me some input on field stories that you could bring and sort of shed some light on what you've seen and what kind of feedback you've gotten and what's some of the common things you see in your observations. Sure. Well, for a while, I thought that I was bringing some sort of a hex or a jinx to the process because something would go wrong, it seemed, every visit. In one case, we were locked out. We were waiting in the driveway for the builder to unlock the home. In another case, a duck blaster failed that they'd been using for weeks and months, and it just happened to fail while I was out there. Another case, a blower door fan got loose inside the housing and started contacting the grill. Another case, this was an interesting story. We're in the middle of doing a leakage to outside test, and all of a sudden we can hear the fan ramping up down. The blower door fan is ramping up, but we're upstairs with the duct tester. But hearing that noise, the QAD uh, said, we need to stop what we're doing and go check out what's happening. And when he, we came downstairs and see that there's somebody pressure washing the front porch, and he's basically drowning our reference tube. And so the blower door is set to automatically keep the house at 25 pascals. So as soon as he pressure washed our reference tube, the fan is sensing that it needs to give more RPM. So it's ramping up on us. And of course, the QED has to go all the way out the back door and straighten out the pressure washer guys to washing our equipment. In another case, it just was the reality of what Raiders and QADs face in this particular market. They had a ventilation strategy that had a test mode and you can put it in test mode, but it only lasts for about a minute. So I'm standing on the attic drop downstairs and he's up in the attic on the platform and he's about to hit it in test mode. And he's warning me, you're going to need to get out of the way because I'm going to come flying down those attic stairs 
out the back, run around the house and up to the side and up my ladder where I have to take my measurement. And he did that. And then we tried a different measurement style because the one he was using actually isn't approved under the current standard anymore. He's using a vein anemometer. So we used a different one to sort of see the difference. And the second time we tried it, we didn't get down there fast enough. So we had to run back upstairs and do it all over again. So it's just an interesting real peek behind the curtain at, at the realities that raiders and QADs face sometimes in implementing our standards. It's very interesting because I've attended uh, Raider Fest, which is the Energy Logics uh, training thing every summer. And the Raider Olympics now has like a real visual for me. <laughs> These You do really do need to train to be an Olympic athlete for to be a Raider, the guy running down the stairs. So interesting. Where does this feedback go? Where does it go up to? Does it inside the organization? What happens with what you learn collectively and how do you present that? Well, in the case of the field reviews, we were kind of inventing the process this year. Um, it hadn't been done, at least while I was with the organization. What we felt was of value was to, by the way, our initial plan was we were going to spend about a half a day with each provider and we would be in the field for part of that time and we would meet with them informally for part of that time. What we decided instead was to just do the infield portion and then plan for a follow-up phone call because inevitably there would be conversations about interpretations or things that we couldn't always immediately answer right there in field. And so it lended itself to pretty well a baked-in need for a follow-up call. So that very quickly became part of the process. The follow-up call happened usually a week to 10 days after the infield visit. And then we have the opportunity to kind of review. Here are the things that we saw that were going well. Here are some things that you asked, and here are some of the answers and interpretations we can give you. And perhaps here's an action plan for some things that we need you to do differently. And then because of that, oftentimes you want to get that sort of thing in writing. Um, we just plan on creating a written report. So there'd be some images of what we observed while we were on site as well as a list of summary of that phone call. Here are some of the things that we found you were doing well and some of the things that we'd like you to do differently. If there's an action plan or some required corrective action, that would be spelled out pretty clearly in the report with the appropriate deadlines attached. So I want to direct a question to Laurel to find out, since you have the longest tenure in the industry, how have some of these changes made a difference? Say, for example, adding the field QA and automated QA. How has this made a difference in the way things run? It's made a huge impact, Bill, just from what we're able to see first with the automated QA tool that we use now to be able to, that's part of the selection criteria, like Scott and Billy said, um, you know, that gives us a better insight and we can look at a larger volume of ratings. But I'm going to go back just a little bit further than that becoming one of our tools in our QA toolbox. But when I first started handling the QA management at ResNet, our buildings registry was relatively new at that time. They were required to start uploading ratings into the registry in June 2012. Before that, it was self-reporting. So we took it for the word. I mean, not that we don't trust our providers, but on an annual basis, they were saying, well, this rater did this many ratings and I did this many field QAs or this many file QAs. And so we just had to take and say, okay, you're meeting the minimums and that sort of thing. The first game changer as far as QA is concerned, in my mind, was when we were able to use the registry as a verification tool. I'm able to pull a report for each provider that I do the annual report review for and see how many 
ratings they entered each quarter to make sure they're keeping up with their quarterly requirements for file and field QA, how many ratings are in there for each rater. We were able to see that there was lots of duplicate files when we first started using that, the registry is a QA tool. But that in itself, that was a big time game changer for ResNet. In addition, the registry enables us as a QA staff to pull a rating file down, open it up and take a look at it and see, okay, well, you said that this rating had no errors, but we're potentially seeing an error in it. Or if there is a rating or a rater that's being flagged in our automated QA tool, it allows us to go back to the registry and kind of pull several rating files and do a little bit of digging on our own. Then with the advancement of we had some more report review requirements that were asked of providers. And then with the online reviews that I began doing in 2013, we really were able to get a good perspective. And I feel like the field QA reviews are sort of the icing on this cake that we've been building of growing and making the ResNet Quality Assurance Program the gold standard. Awesome. So where do you see the future headed for this? I'll just throw that out there to anyone who wants to try to respond. Do you have some other ideas that are coming, things you can talk about? We definitely have some ideas on improvements or enhancements that can be made to our quality assurance program. Some of those will be things that we can do ourselves on the policy side. So we're conscious of trying to look at the value of what we're asking providers to do and compare that to the time burden because we're also sensitive to the fact that there is certainly an administrative cost to the provider that gets potentially passed on to the reader and even the builder. So we want to make sure that the activities that we're requiring and incentivizing are the right things. And in other words, that the juice is worth the squeeze. So if there's something that is time consuming, but really maybe not of high value, those would be things that maybe on the policy side, we can give a little bit. We've already identified at least one of those things for this year. We've been requiring providers to submit an example signed disclosure for every rater with their annual QA submittal. And for providers that have maybe 100 raters, that can be kind of time-consuming just to gather all that up and send one to ResNet for each rater. So we're seeing pretty good compliance with that. So that's a place where we think we can make a policy change and potentially improve things and not demand a bunch of time or administrative effort that isn't adding a lot of value to the program. A couple of other potential initiatives that we have. One would be requiring a draft amendment. So some ideas that we have, like incentivizing some of the best practices that we have identified this year and getting them written into standards, that would require an amendment to go through the public consensus standard process. Our effort in that part would be to draft it on behalf of staff and get that amendment submitted, and it would go then before SDC 900, the Standard Development Committee. If they deem that to be an appropriate amendment, they'll send it out for public comment. They have the ability to edit it beforehand if they want to, or even reject it. So will this be collectively displayed or communicated to the ResNet and anyone following ResNet or at the conference or anything? We'd be talking about what you've observed here. Yeah, you can certainly expect one or more conference sessions. One I would expect would be recapping some of the things that we've learned through the QA efforts that you heard us talk about today. And then if we were drafting an amendment to enact some of these enhancements, then we'll certainly have a session describing our draft amendment. And potentially we could time it such that it's out for public comment around the time that folks are showing up to attend our conference. And that way we can kind of maximize on the opportunity to get more people involved. And the most thoughtful comments really do help shape the amendments 
and potentially help us weed out things that are worded poorly or need to be fixed in terms of the language. So we've covered a broad array of the state of the industry and a lot about the focus of quality assurance. In fact, that's probably one of the primary missions of ResNet, if I'm not mistaken, to make sure the quality is there in the rating system. Is there anything else that you'd like to cover? And I'll throw it back first to Laurel. Scott and I discussed this. What is the state of the industry of ResNet quality assurance? And I just think we're in a really strong place now even more so like I've been reiterating, we've built the program up over the past several years, but I think we've got the right players with Billy and Scott on our team and that I'm excited for the future and just kind of echo some of the things that Scott said. We do have some plans for the future to make the process stronger while potentially lessening the administrative burden. We've got great tools and resources now. We're learning a lot. One thing that you were asking about, how is this information being distributed? It's distributed to providers, but we also are planning for next year to do some educational series for both providers and raters themselves. So if we're seeing common trends, either through the automated QA or through our field visits, we want to make sure that this information gets to everyone in the industry. Very good. I sense that you've bought into this heart and soul and mind, and you're very good listeners and you're very considerate people. Go ahead. I think, uh, Scott, you're ready to say something there too? I do think that the state of the industry is strong, to kind of borrow that cliche from the presidential address. And I think the reasons for it, though, are we really have a good foundation that we're starting with. We have very passionate people. When Billy and I get out into the field or I get people on the phone or I meet them at conference, it's clear that our industry is full of people who are really, really passionate about what they do and by and large are in it for the right reasons. And I think that's a really good foundational piece. And then I feel like we have now a really solid team, quality assurance team, as well as our leadership. We have some leadership now I think that is paying attention to our stakeholders in a different way and listening to the stakeholders' opinions about what can really be done to strengthen our industry, to strengthen their partnership with us. And that's given us, as a quality assurance team, a pretty clear mission on what we should be doing. We're clearly tasked with causing consistency among ratings. That's the whole point of quality assurance. We want to deliver a consistent, high-quality service through the HERS index, but also we need to be able to do so in ways that don't create unnecessary administrative burden, in ways that, as I said, we can incentivize things that really do add value to our program and not create an unnecessary administrative burden. Absolutely. So, Billy, any closing thoughts from you? Three things in particular stick out. I'm excited. Laurel touched on it, but we talked about some different ideas about putting out more training materials, maybe even more like quick to access, shorter, more experiential, YouTube, how-tos, training videos that'll be accessible for providers, QADs, raters, RFIs, people to learn things quick and easy. I'm excited that we've kind of come on with a new philosophy. I think Cardis, our new operations director who's stepping in really as a deputy director. She comes, Scott and I do, from a private for-profit company background where we think about clients and we're looking at the providerships as our kind of first tier of clients with the raiders and RFIs behind them and the builders and trade allies beyond them is really trying to treat these folks as ResNet's clients. That excites me. I think that's a good approach. The third thing is that we just hear a lot of people, a lot of these different sizes of providerships and rating companies and talking about things they need to level the playing field. And that term means so many different things 
to each and every one of those types of companies. But as challenging as that might be to look at all these different types of entities and figure out how do we level this, you know, I'm excited with the fact that that is a big part of our job and something that we are working hard to do. Excellent. It, it's not easy. And with three very good people I see here who are all, uh, again, committed heart and soul to this aspect of things. So I want to thank you again for coming on board uh, the Res Talk podcast today and wish that everyone here who's listening has picked up some information. We got to plug the annual conference coming up next February in New Orleans. That's a really great place to interact. And actually, I'm sure you'll see all three of these people, Laurel, Billy, and Scott there, get to meet with them personally and find out more about this mission that they've embarked upon. Thanks a lot. Great job, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you all for coming on board today, on board the podcast, and we appreciate your uh, input and your insights. Thank you very much, Bill. Everyone else, please subscribe to the Res Talk podcast to keep up with other updates like this. We'll talk to you next time. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast. I also want to note that there's, of course, the ResNet annual conference that you can attend, which will be held this coming year, February 25th through 27th, 2019, in New Orleans, Louisiana. If you go to www.conference.resnet.us, you can learn more about that event. I want to thank you for listening and hope you heard some things that will help change your perspective or prompt some questions. If you're a pro in the building market, you can surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. And you can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter at resnet.us. That's R-E-S-N-E-T-U-S. Here's a quick thought for the day. This is by Philippe Petit, a gentleman who walked across between the two World Trade Centers back uh, several decades ago. Usually, when I walk on a wire, I inspect the anchor point on both sides before crossing. So we're in the business of inspection at ResNet, and we want to make sure that we inspect both sides of the issue. And that's what ResNet is doing here today. That's what we learned here today. So if you've not subscribed, please do so. And as always, thank you for listening to ResTalk. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. Talk.